Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Tuesday, December 6th edition of the Basement Academy. As we get going with our morning psalm, this is one of my favorites. Um, we'll be talking this morning, um, give you a little book review and some reflections on Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown, where she talks a lot about, essentially about emotions. And uh, just struck by this psalm, um, there's this line, those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy and emotional dexterity, emotional nimbleness, emotional maturity and depth, the ability to uh, weep and rejoice and to understand and express this is, is so fascinating. So anyway, it's a, it's a great little psalm. Uh, we read it uh, many times. It's in the context of the uh, exile. Uh, that Israel experienced. So here's Psalm 126. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. Just six little verses. And so the the human capacity for sorrow, for joy, and everything in between is what Brene Brown is after in her um, recent book, Atlas of the Heart. She uh, frames the book along the lines of uh, taking a trip or a journey. So the atlas describes the various places you Go. And so she, each of the chapters is, is kind of framed in that language. Places we go when. And so places we go when things are uncertain or too much. Kind of this overwhelm. Places we go when we compare. Places we go when things don't go as planned. Places we go when it's beyond us. Places we go when things aren't what they seem. Places we go when we're hurting. Places we go with others, relationships. Places we go when we fall short. Hmm. Places we go when we search for connection. Places we go when the heart is open. Places we go when life is good. Places we go when we feel wronged. Places we go to self-assess. And so those are the 13 places we go. And she she understands the human uh, uh, kind of emotional palette um, or makeup. She, she describes 87 different emotions. Like I thought there were like four or five, like happy, sad, mad, maybe hungry, right? <laughs> um, and so let me just give you a, a, a kind of a sampling. Places we go when things are uncertain or too much. Talked about this in the sermon a couple weeks ago. Stress, 
overwhelm, anxiety, worry, avoidance, excitement, dread, fear, and vulnerability. These all bundle together. They're adjacent emotions. When we have the experience of things being too much for us or being uncertain when we're walking into or in an uncertain situation, the experience that we have accompanies with these emotions or these emotions accompany those those experiences places we go when we compare we humans are relentlessly comparing ourselves with others so admiration reverence comparison envy jealousy resentment when we're looking at another's lives and we don't measure up or they're more than us we get envious or jealous Schadenfreude, rejoicing in someone's misfortune. Freudenfreude is when we're rejoicing in their joy or we're uh, weeping in their weeping, right? Their ability to connect with the thing that they are connected with, okay? Uh, Places we go when things don't go as planned, boredom, disappointment, expectations, regret, discouragement, resignation, frustration. So we all experience things not going as we planned and so this set of emotions these feelings that we have that that are nuanced and and have some distinction boredom things don't go as planned i'm stuck here oh my gosh what am i going to do for the next two hours you know we get bored and then the feelings that go with that that experience so anyway fascinating uh places we go when it's beyond us this is awe and wonder um, curiosity, interest, surprise, confusion. You know, when, when, when things are beyond us, I would put worship in here, right? True, genuine Christian worship. We go, my God, how great thou art. When we behold that which is so much uh, beyond us. Places we go when things aren't what they seem. Amusement, okay? So, you know, when things don't go you know, they're not what they seem, we kind of laugh at a lot of times. Or there's bittersweetness, nostalgia, cognitive dissonance, paradox, irony, and sarcasm. And so I could go on. There's 87 different emotions she catalogs. It's like a taxonomy of, of sorts. And so the idea is that these experiences take us to places So these are common human experiences and they take us to places of emotional nuance and distinction. And and so she talks, she's she's an emotion, she's a researcher of emotions. Uh, she, She set out on this path to become more connected to people. She got curious about how our emotional lives help us or hurt us in our ability to connect with others. So she's looking for some kind of unified theory of, of human connection. And uh, the epilogue uh, offers a, uh, her, her case for that. Uh, that's pretty good. So, so the idea is this, that just as we travel our, our country, travel the world, some of us, um, and, and the different places we go have different, a different beauty. You know, so the Colorado Rockies, the California coastline, where you've got, you know, kind of some mountains here, and you've got the, the ocean there, um, um, the Outer Banks. I love going to the Outer Banks. We love being in New England, up in New England, um, the, the rocky coastlands. Ireland had a chance to travel to Ireland a bunch of years ago. Kansas, 
Some of you, if you've never driven through Kansas, you don't know what you're missing. And I don't mean that facetiously. There is a beauty there with these the plains and just the the the, the sunsets that just stretch for miles and miles, and you can see the thunderclouds coming in the storm coming your way when you just have nothing but horizon in, in front of you. Uh, the wheat fields, you know, blowing in the wind. So fascinating. So so what, what she's doing is essentially saying that our emotional lives are like a vast terrain. And, and for many of us, it's an often unexplored terrain, an unexplored country. And so um, kind of my own thinking uh, was triggered uh, or, or connected around uh, our Genesis. Genesis 1 and 2, made in the image of God. God has made us this way. He has made us with the capacities with our bodies to experience this world. And then this interior life, we would call it the heart. Scripture calls it the, the heart, right? She uses that same language kind of the, the, the fullness or the richness of texture, the, the robust reality of the human experience and the human emotional life. So, so she's cataloging different places we go, this atlas of the heart. Um, just thinking about my own life then, just as a person, forget being a pastor, that, that, that comes into play certainly. I'm a son, I'm a brother, I'm a husband, I'm a father. These four different roles in relationship to others leads to different places, different emotions. Um, I'm a friend, um, I'm a guy, right? Um, but I'm a pastor also. And so when just thinking about my own life, um, my own relationships, my own experience with disappointment, my own experience with joy and excitement and anticipation, my own experience with loss and disappointment and grief. Um, and, and so loved, uh, I, I listen to books instead of read them as much. And so that's why I'm not holding up a copy of the book right now. Let me encourage you to read it. I, I think there's much there for us. Uh, in my experience as pastor, what I would say is I believe there's a strong connection between emotional maturity and health and spiritual maturity and health. In fact, I might even go so far as to say to be emotionally healthy is to be spiritually healthy, or you can't be spiritually healthy without being emotionally healthy. Now, that's, that's a strong statement. But spiritual maturity and emotional maturity are connected. Another way of saying this is you can know your Bible, you can teach your Sunday school classes, you can attend Bible studies, you can sing in the choir, you can serve on the mission committee or go on mission trips, whatever, however you'd want to think about that. <clears throat> but you can be that person and fly off the handle, not be able to control your appetites and your lusts. Uh, you might not be able to sustain friendships. You might not be able to forgive. You hold grudges. Um, you get overwhelmed easily with fear and insecurity. And so, so we say, well, I go to Bible study, but yeah, uh, you know, I, I gossip about people and I talk about people and I put them down and, you know, I compare myself and I'm jealous of their, my sibling's success, you know. 
And some people don't make the connection that the Bible study is to help you become a more emotionally sound and healthy and vibrant and resilient and mature person. So I connect emotional maturity and spiritual maturity. I think this is a little bit of what Paul's writing about in 1 Corinthians 13. When I was a child, I thought like a child, I talked like a child, I acted like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. The child who pouts and stamps about when they don't get what they want. Well, we adults do the same. We just maybe do it in a little more sophisticated ways, right? I know lots of adults who pout, <laughs> lots of adults who throw their tantrums. I'm one of them, okay? So emotional maturity and spiritual maturity are tied together. So I found this book fascinating because it took me to places thinking, oh, I hadn't thought about that. Um, my, my, again, my observation as a pastor, this, this emotional health, emotional maturity is probably the most important work that we neglect. I sit with people all the time. See, very, t very few times do people come to the pastor when they're happy. Very few times do they come when things are going well. Folks come to the pastor when they're struggling, when things are not working out. They're overwhelmed, they're anxious, they're, they're, they're disappointed, they're, they're in distress of some sort. And so I will always, you know, try to do my best to listen. <clears throat> and then I ask, I try to ask probing questions and I'm trying to discern, you know, some of the shape of what's, what's going on. And I often discover that people don't make the connection between spiritual health, our relationship with the Lord and our emotional health. Almost as if they're two separate things, just yeah, I, I go to church and that's that. And, you know, I've, I'm, 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 I love the church, you know, hey. But it has nothing to do with all of this overwhelm and all this uh, upset and distress over here. And I've come to believe that most of us neglect the inner life. We neglect the work, doing the work of explore, going to these places and getting out of the car in these places, these emotional uh, places we visit. And so... I, I've kind of made some notes here. I think there's four reasons we neglect the inner life, neglect uh, doing the, the work. And the first is because it's work. It's hard to know our own hearts. Um, we've got childhood experiences, experiences from our youth and young adult days. Uh, we've been... been um, We've been disappointed. We've got regrets. Dreams have, have not uh, come through. Maybe relationships haven't been that successful. Work has, you know, been up and down. Uh, parental relationships were maybe difficult. And, and, and so there's an impact on us, right? Our emotions as adults are shaped by what happened in, in our younger years. And it requires effort, it requires attention, it requires energy, it requires um, actually physically manipulating your environment, turning off the television, stepping away from the computer screen and thinking 
and reflecting and being in conversation with other people, be it counselors, therapists, pastors, uh, journaling, being in conversation with friends. And so to do the work, which itself involves emotional strength, emotional effort. Because when I'm going back and working through my relationship with my parents or my siblings, uh, the, the, the disappointments I had you know, as a college student or a high school student or as a middle school student, being, you know, in that lunchroom and nobody sitting with me and, you know, that, that, that triggers a set of emotions. And then I feel the same way today. I started a new job and nobody talked to me and, you know, whatever. And we, but it's, it's work. And so one of the reasons we neglect the work is because it's work. And we just would rather turn on the TV. I'm just going to ignore all that stuff and I'm going to, you know, pretend it's, it's easy, uh, just to, you know, I'm just going to get through the day as opposed to, you know, uh, get out my atlas, go there and discover the beauty that is contained in this experience, the beauty of disappointment, the beauty that we can find in regret. I'm going to talk a little bit where the beauty comes from. Um, secondly, I think a lot of us are dismissive, particularly guys, Guys can be dismissive of doing the emotional work, the in interior work. Um, yeah, I'm not into that touchy-feely stuff. That's, that's some of the language we might hear or, or say. Uh, for a lot of men in particular, uh, the emotional life feels like, you know, that's soft. That, that's expressing weakness. That's kind of women's work that, you know, sometimes we're a little um, sexist in that way, perhaps. Um, so we dismiss the whole endeavor and we stay angry um, or we remain aloof, unable to form a deeper connection with our wives, a deeper connection with our children. Um, you know, we, we nurse some grudges and resentments at work when we don't get, you know, the promotion or, you know, the recognition that we want. And so we, we sit in these emotional places and, and the way a lot of guys kind of work things through is, uh, you know, they might drink, they might turn to porn or gambling or, um, you know, certain hobbies kind of, I'm just gonna go out to my man cave as it were, and just, you know, um, hang out. Um, so I'm not trying to, you know, beat up on my my, my fellow guys here, but I think generally we get dismissive. So we don't do the interior work because it's work. We get dismissive of it. Third is we get stuck. To carry the metaphor of, of the journey, we get a flat tire out on a desert road and we don't know where we are, you know, and I'm stuck there until somebody comes by, you know, I can't get cell coverage. That is, we get to an emotional place and we don't know how to get out of that. I get to an angry place, I get to a frustrated place, I get to a place of disappointment. Often the negative emotions will, will get us stuck. Um, so I, I just don't know how to get unstuck, which leads to the fourth reason, we're just inexperienced in this emotional life. You know, I, I, when I read or heard her say, you know, 87 different experiences and emotions that go with it, I'm going like, are you kidding me? 87? Now, truth is, there might be more, right? But 87 distinct experiences or and emotions that tie with them, all the places we can go. And we're just inexperienced with that. I just don't know that. And so, um, 
So in the same way, you know, we like we're right-handed. I'm I'm right-handed person. So if my right hand is somehow impaired, I have to work with my left. Well, I'm just not that good with it. So if I just think it's happy, sad, you know, uh, mad, um, or, or you know, or 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 fearful, maybe, you know, kind of the four primary emotions. I, I, all this nuance is going to confuse me. I'm not going to feel. You know, um, you know, invisibility. So she talks about invisibility, a sense of no, I'm here, but nobody knows I'm here. And what that feels like then to be in a group of people yet to be alone or to be lonely. And so there's all of these uh, foreboding joy. What an interesting concept, foreboding joy. Something good's getting ready to happen. I, I can just tell it. I hope. <laughs> and sometimes it's too good to be true. Things are going well. Uh, and there's a sense of foreboding that attends with that. So we get to places where we don't understand. So we're just not that experienced. And so we just don't know what to do. So, so let me encourage you to buy the book or listen to the book, right? Read the book or listen to the book. Don't just buy it, but read it. I think the biblical warrant for this work, this emotional work, is uh, Proverbs 4.23, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Your heart is the wellspring of life. God intends for your, this interior part of our lives to be that which comes up and springs up into life, that all of these various emotions and experiences we have why there's a beauty there is because we meet him there. We meet God in the hurt, in the distress, in the overwhelm. We meet him in the joy. We meet him in the comparison. Uh, we meet him. Uh, let me look at some of the, let me look at the, I'm, I'm looking at the table of contents. You know, we meet him when we feel we've been wronged in our anger, in our disgust, in our self-righteousness. These are the opportunities for discipleship, Right. Take every moment as an opportunity for a discipleship moment. It's meeting him, meeting God, taking, praying our emotional life, which is why these psalms are so, uh, so rich. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. All of the longing, all the anticipation, all of the sadness that accompanied the exile was met then with joy. And so the ability to, to experience all of this life um, Deuteronomy chapter 6 that Jesus quotes in the New Testament when he's asked, love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And so this, this reality that God has given to us, this, these capacities. So let me invite you, encourage you uh, to read the book. Um, I think Brene Brown is uh, a churchgoer, a Christian. Uh, she cites some wisdom from the Buddhist uh, world. Um, some may be off-put by that. Let me encourage you not to be, just to listen and just hear what she has to say. But I believe it's a book worthy of your uh, engagement. Um, it'll give you something to think about, but most importantly, I think it will help you know yourself better. And as you know yourself better, you will be able to connect better with others. And so I think that's ultimately what we're after, learning how to love God 
and then to love uh, our neighbor. And I believe this book is certainly helping me to do that, and, and perhaps it will help you as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for the gift of words, uh, the gift of your people, the gift of Brene Brown, who brings her research uh, findings uh, and, and brings them together in this work. Help us to grow, uh, to, to develop, to mature, to improve our ability uh, to live and experience and express our lives with these hearts that you've given us. And so, Lord, help us, help us as we make this way through this life with all of these experiences, all the places we go, that we might meet you there, that we might have ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts rich, robust, developed hearts to embrace and understand and love you. We offer this prayer in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May God fill your heart with his grace, his peace, his power, his presence, that you may love him and love your neighbor with all of your heart this day and forevermore. Amen.